Well, hey everybody, it's Jean Nathan, it's Crosstown Conversations, and we certainly have some conversations going for us tonight because we're going to talk about a really exciting development right in the heart of the French Quarter. Um, we're going to talk about some really amazing people who are in the business of curating the art that we get to see, who are here from all over the world, kind of getting ideas and tips on how to do what they do. And then we have Carol Pulitzer. Um, there is no shorthand way I can describe Carol Pulitzer. So she has two new books out, and um, we're going to have some fun and, and, and talk about uh, what she writes about and the drawings that she does as well. But we're going to start out with this French Quarter focus. Um, many of you have heard of the Historic New Orleans Collection, and many of you, I'm sure, don't really know that much about it and what it does. And it and it's it's changing because it it, it was at one time in its 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 life uh, kind of. Um, a little bit more, let's say, history-oriented in the past, past, past tense. And now I would say its history focus is a little bit, let's just say, past, as opposed to past, past, past. It's, it's, or, or even present. It's, it's, it's the history in the making. So it, they have their eye on the city in, in a number of different ways, and they reflect back and, and show us the city that we live in, but we don't always see. So um, I have with me two um, ladies who are very much involved with the uh, show and with the, um, uh, the Historic New Orleans Collection itself, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves because I don't want to get their titles all mushed up. So... Uh, thank you for having me. My name is Amanda McPhillan, and I'm the Associate Director of Museum Programs for the Historic New Orleans Collection. I don't think we caught that because I don't think oh. your mic is uh, connected. So I'm going to ask you to move over. Okay. So let's let, let's get you over there, and um, now we know that that's not working. Hold on, everybody, for just one second while we shift gears a little bit. Okay, let's try that again. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, great. Well, my name is Amanda McPhillan, and I'm the Associate Director of Museum Programs for the Historic New Orleans Collection. And I want to say, uh, we still do plenty of the past, past, past at the collection, but you're right that we're focused uh, on the present and on the future right now in this very exciting period that we're going through. Fantastic. And Jen Gilbert? Hi, Jean. Thanks for having us. Um, I am the guest curator of Art of the City, uh, postmodern to post-Katrina, and along with Priscilla uh, Lawrence, who is our executive director, who has assisted with this curation project. I'm very excited to have been invited to do this. And Jen Gilbert is an artist of many media because she does a, a lot of different kinds of things with her artwork. And um, as uh, uh, the wife of an artist whose work is pretty much much all over the place as well. I, I appreciate very much artists who don't stick to that one idea that they just keep uh, peddling, and uh, she does a lot of different things. All right, well, let's let's start with the show because I want to make sure that we get all the information out on that because it's it's going to be up for a while. That's the beauty of it, but it's about to open on April sixth, and it'll be open through October. Art of the City, Postmodern to Post-Katrina. Let's start with that title. What does that mean? Uh, we came up with this idea 
we really wanted to look at the notion of the last really three decades plus a little bit. Um, we took the World's Fair as this moment, this very large moment in the city that has impacted, you know, so much in both the uh, layout, the but particularly the dynamic of the arts in New Orleans and what that has done. And then certainly the kind of bookend to that has been Katrina. And the, but the fact that it's really now post Katrina, we, we see the resilience, we see the rebuilding and we see what the arts role has been in that. So we wanted to really look at that and we wanted not only the most recent art, but we wanted to go back. And of course the collection is so rich and there are 35 pieces that come from the collection in the exhibition. So so that was our first charge um, draw, and then we filled out lots of wonderful work from individuals, collections, and some of the institutions loaned. And, you know, I think a lot of people in the city take the art scene as we know it today for granted and don't realize how dramatically it's changed in uh, these past few decades. Uh, uh, my markers are really more with the Contemporary Arts Center. I can't resist that. It's not just because I was involved with it, but because, in, in truth, that was the first time that we had a place where you could systematically see work of the living artists in the city, which was intended to try to help them get more exposure be able to attract collectors and be able to stay in the city. And so you had right then and there a big change, a big evolution in the, in the art scene. The World's Fair to me was a kind of, it was a marker, but it wasn't a beginning or an end. It was, it was a, a marker. Um, Katrina was a new beginning because Katrina really did um, throw all the pieces up in the air, so to speak, or maybe throw them under the water. And and we had to kind of start from scratch, in a sense, and um, recreate an art scene. And there were so many people who came to the city during that time. And uh, just doing a quick look at your um, inventory of artists, you've got them all. You've got them from this these, the modern era, and and I want you to define postmodern because I don't think a lot of people really know what that means, including me. It means different things to me. And um, and then uh, really uh, talk about all of the this this new uh, tribe of artists, so to speak, that uh, uh, we have now in the city. I'd like to actually back up also and say that truly the title of the show includes presented by the Hellas Foundation. And um, so Art of the City, Postmodern to Post-Katrina, presented by the Hellas Foundation. And um, so really postmodernism, the time... You know, it, it conjures many different meanings, but it, it has a lot to do with a, a range of kind of hierarchies being shattered and all of a sudden fair game to draw from so many different vital and different and just cultures that were overlooked and even to have fun and make jokes and, you know, with high things and low things colliding together. And, you know, it it really rained and it has totally impacted, I think, happily many things, you know, the way we look at the world. And, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it, it continues to evolve because, um, 
we we see new people coming in and some people moving on and so it it's not static at all it's not like all of a sudden okay this is the post katrina scene it's going to continue to evolve tell me about some of the artists in the show oh goodness well i have to say as an artist myself and as a public artist when we spoke about the idea of art of the city you know how can you not look at also this public art world that has arisen in this period of time as well and again a postmodern you know where all this architecture and all these other uh disciplines unite and come together so you know i immediately pitched the notion of how can we look at some of the public art and also get people out on the street get pe- expand our notion of getting people into the galleries and so it's it's very complex and so we can only kind of hit some of the high notes but you know one of our programs and again Amanda mm-hmm. will talk more about some of these but you know we definitely we had a portage role um which I was on the show back when we started that um we a bike tour that and have created a map and but we also have on the flip side of the map and it's again the programs and these things a catalog that is going to be um offered as well as the map are all free courtesy of um the Hellas Foundation and and basically the start new orleans collection is free and has been free so that's a big note to make very very but, important but we do emphasize the only thing that's not free is the parking you got to go find <laughs> that's parking true. That's can't help you there i'm sorry that's on the only <laughs> downside but yeah. public art plays a plays a big role but there are many paintings which of course is one of the natural things that's in the collection um photography a lot of documentary photography um people like michael p smith you know um i mean there are old names because it's 30 years we there's many of the people are deceased so it's almost a memorial of some of these people like george febres right. and george derow and harold backe uh, mm-hmm. absolutely um john scott mm-hmm. um and we but we have some new pieces that we're really excited about we have that just acquired through the lasat society of HNOC an Elizabeth Catlett um model and that larger piece it's of Mahalia Jackson is in the Congo Square and she was 90s in her 90s when she made this piece in 2010 so um you know it has a uh, range I I can't think of um I mean you know we have endless kinds of shows that are compendiums of work of 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 artists from this area and so on but I can't think of a show right off the top of my head an exhibition that really um is encompassing so much uh work from the contemporary era uh, what what made um Amanda the HNOC decide to do this well you know and i wanted to say when you're talking about um being such a compendium of artist yeah, one of the inspirations for Jan putting the show together was not to do it chronologically or as she wanted it to feel like you were like out in the city walking around and that these are just the works that you are encounter these are the ideas that you are encounter just kind of i mean new orleans is such a layered city with you know history stacked on top of history and you know um everybody just kind of all eclectically mixed together um this uh exhibition is 
premiering in our the new wing of our museum. We are expanding across the street. We've been at 530 Royal Street for years. We're expanding across the street to 520 Royal Street, the old WDSU TV station. Um, and uh, Which has a very yes. interesting art history in and of itself, of course. Right, absolutely. Right. The Arts and Crafts Club was there right. in the 1920s. Yep. Um, and we have been able to build in the on the back side of the courtyard in that building a brand new exhibition space. It uh, It's a, a purpose-built facility for showing exhibitions. It's going to about triple our exhibition space that we have. So the types of exhibits that we're going to be able to do, like I don't know that this exhibit would have been possible in the exhibition space that we had previously at 533 Royal. Um, it's so to be able to show this off and uh, – to your point, to tackle um, the more present history rather than the past passes, which we typically do, um, has been really exciting for us. So we kind of feels like it's a new chapter for us. It's a new era. The building, the new building is called the Tricentennial Wing. I mean, to honor, you know, this milestone in our history. So being able to show um, the arts that have happened all the way up until the present day has been really exciting. How do you feel uh, doing this show um is going to affect uh, your thinking about what you exhibit and collect going forward. It's, it's had an impact, I'm sure. I The thing that I'm really excited about is uh, I think most people go to art museums to see an art show. Uh, so what happens when you put an art show in a history museum? How does that change how you look at it? How does it change how the public looks at it? Are you looking at it for, obviously, the artistic value, the creative creativity behind it, the beauty of it? But also, I think they're going to dig through a little bit and just look, what is the history of it? What does this say? What is this person saying about the city of New Orleans? How has the city of New Orleans affected them? So uh, I hope that people um, bring uh, kind of a historic um, perspective to it as well when they come to the show. And yeah. and, and, and also, uh, I think that one of the um, factors about the art scene in New Orleans is that while our work is very contem- can be very contemporary and, and very forward-looking, um, we embrace more of the cultural legacy of our city than a, a lot of other places. We, it, it's still so important. You know, our Mardi Gras Indians, our marching clubs, um, our, our, the whole carnival uh, milieu that we live with, all of these things are um, something that turns up in, in funny ways in our artwork. Uh, 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 tell me about some of the artists that you have in your show that maybe have picked up that thread, including some of the most recent artists. You know, we... we talk about the newbies who have arrived, but um, they, they take about six months to figure it out, and, and next thing you know, their work is reflecting that same cultural legacy. But it's a celebration, really, <laughs> the whole sense of ritual, relics, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's one person whose work is also um, Jeffrey Cook. Jeffrey actually worked, you know, he, sadly he's deceased, um, he worked at the Historic New Orleans Collection years ago. I didn't know yes. that. Yes, yeah. and, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we have such a range, Let, let's see, um, uh, we have an artist, Robin Reynolds, who is born in Zimbabwe, works out of London, and he did a piece 
It was not commissioned. It was a piece that he approached the collection because of our historical standing. And it was done for the tricentennial. It's called New Orleans Between Heaven and Hell. And it's an interactive piece that goes to the collection and takes about 150 or so vignettes, episodes. Somebody calls it a treasury map, actually. And you, it's an interactive piece that you can go on the inter- internet and um, just go to the website and interact with it. Um, but there's an iPad sitting right there, and it's a drawing. He had done a, vis- a piece for the Shakespeare 400th anniversary in London, and it was after the Vischer drawing of London. And so it's this beautiful, odd drawing um, that has all of these layers. I mean, it talks about Ernie Cato. We have um, the Ernie Cato um, um, effigy yeah, mannequin statue, uh-huh. that is part of the collection that Antoinette Cato had um, from the from the cover of Offbeat by any chance? Do you have that? I don't no? know. No. Oh, that was no, a picture. This is, this is oh. the real mannequin. Okay. Well, uh, th- there's a there was a cover of Offbeat that I have saved, and um, maybe I need to g- donate this to that you would all. Be great. Of the Ernie Cato mannequin sitting at a table in Galatoire's. Oh, with wonderful. <laughs> with with uh, her, with his wife, and there was one other person at the table, I believe, but literally as if he was having lunch at Galatoire. Well, for viewers who are not familiar, Ernie Cato was a rhythm and blues legend who had one of his... I guarantee smash- you my audience knows who he is. But <laughs> okay, anyway, okay, but had, had, you know, and has the mother-in-law lounge, but mother-in-law was his... You know, big head. Mother in Exactly. And, you know, Antoinette had this mannequin, and many times we would be out and about, and she would be with her, the mannequin, drive up in the Cadillac, and he would escort her. And it was just this unbelievable New Orleanian celebration, really. Yeah, yeah. Related to that, I love the piece by Gina Phillips, oh, "Fats Got Out," which yes. is this wonderful. It's a uh, kind of this large portrait of made out of fabric. It's a fabric arts kind of sewn. She piece. does a lot of uh, very elaborate stitching on fabric yeah. to generate an image. It's fan- fantastic work. Oh, we have yeah. we Fats. have some of it at the Crevasse Twenty Two in uh, Poitras. Oh, yes. Fats yeah, is absolutely. levitating over the industrial canal, and yes. it's called "When Fats Got Out." Yeah. Um, so yes, that's a fantastic. Piece. But, mm-hmm. and there were and when Fess got out, sort of implying when he got out from the storm. Yes, when yeah. he was rescued. And he made Katrina. it. Yes. Uh-huh. How yeah. did he get out? What's the story? Uh, I think he had to be rescued from his house, I believe. I, I was reading the artist yeah. statement today, and I think that's what it says. Because it's yeah. pretty low where yeah. he is. Yeah. We have really interesting little artist statements and and bios that we ask the artists themselves whenever possible to write. And that is a whole other layer of the mm-hmm. work. Um well, one of the things that I, I said in my newsletter about um, uh, the Historic New Orleans collection in general is that you really do take us on these kind of what I called deeper dives mm-hmm. into an epic, uh, a personality, um, the architecture of the city. Um, I, I was totally astounded to discover your carved wildfowl collection. Oh, yes, yes. That uh, I didn't know you had. I was doing uh, – we have a, a, a something of a, a display of, of them, at, again, at the Crevasse 22. But, you know, I was looking for more ducks, and I said – somebody said, go see Historic Noir's collection. I said, what? Oh, yeah. And I got there, and I look, and I said, oh, my goodness. And there was just a fraction of the collection. That's another thing. You have pretty deep collections. 
collections. We do. Where we do you do. keep them all? Oh, we have, we have uh, where our research is. We our research center is um, on Charter Street. We have uh, our collection storage area there as well. Yeah, and and that's because when people come in to do research at the research center, we're able to access the collections if we can to uh, for them to be able to access our holdings. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I was going to also say um, we have some programming related to Art of the City, if you don't mind me telling the audience a little bit about some no, of that. Let's, let's, I wanted to make yeah. sure that people knew about uh, when – go ahead. Oh, thank you. Uh, so we have um, a few events coming up. Uh, to, uh, going back to Jan's point about public art installations being – as important to this is to this exhibit as the art that is in the galleries, we have the Portage Bike Roll, and so this was a bike tour that had been developed by the late architect Alan Eskew, uh, and also Babette Boyer, and uh, it starts kind of at the foot of Esplanade. You actually start at Crescent Park, and it's a guided tour uh, with a wonderful tour guide named Cassidy Cooper that is going to take you up Esplanade, winding up Esplanade all the way to City Park. Then you'll wind back down Bayou St. John through the Treme into the French Quarter to stop by our facility. And along the way, along this route that you're biking along, you're going to learn about uh, the history of this area and how it was historically used as a portage route from Bayou St. John down to the French Quarter. And you're going to learn about public art installations in this, these neighborhoods as well. Um, and so kind of like what you were saying, you get kind of a deeper dive into this particular neighborhood through this tour. And it's Yeah, and I, a lot fantastic. of people don't realize that Bayou Road was really basically the first mm-hmm. road road in the city. It was the portage from the bayou, uh, from the lake to the bayou to the river. And um, the Native Americans who were living here uh, showed it to the uh, first European explorers as a way of getting into the city without having to wind your way all the way up from the Mississippi. The Gulf. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so that is going to be starting. We start the weekend after Jazz Fest, um, May 11th, and it's on Saturdays and Sundays from May 11th all the way through June 2nd. And there's two tours a day. It's at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And I should also mention that all of the bikes, um, it's free to register for it. So it's a free tour, and the bikes are sponsored by Blue Bikes. And so how does somebody um, register? And, and where do they go to get into the tour? And so they can go to our website, www.hnoc.org, and click on events, and they'll see the event listing for this, and they can log in and register for the tour. Yeah. And then where uh, do oh. – and, and- yeah, where do they actually meet up with the bikes? Oh, okay. So they uh, the bike tour starts at Washington Square Park, okay. and there's a Blue Bikes Hub there, and uh, you'll get your code for registering that you use to unlock the bike and meet up with the tour, and away you go. Yeah. I, I I love the tour. Um, uh, uh, we're uh, the Tannen House, of course, is on the tour, and we've had. Um, uh, um, people stop by and been able to kind of uh, chat with them and, and visit with them. And it's been really interesting to see the range of people who, of course, want to take the tour and, and, and learn about the neighborhood. The neighborhood is pretty extraordinary, and it has a lot of layers of history yeah. as well. So, Absolutely. Um, uh, Couple more artists. Why don't you touch on? Do you want to do the another event? Block party is something I'd okay, love to be party. sure Absolutely. to talk about. Go ahead. 
Oh, so uh, the new building, our new expansion, and the exhibition, oh, yeah. Art of the City, opens uh, April 6th, is our first day, but on April 7th, which is a Sunday from 1 to 5, we're going to be having a big block party in the 500 block of Royal Street uh, to celebrate the opening of our building. Um, it's free to come. We have music that's going to be playing from 1 to 5 all afternoon. We'll have uh, food and drink there uh, for purchase. Uh, you'll be able to see the new Art of the City exhibition and see the new expansion and we really hope everyone will come it's going to be really fun sounds like a fantastic time so let's talk about parking for a minute because i'm sort of a stickler about this because i don't go anywhere unless i know where i'm going to park so uh the uh, back end where, where it used to be a part of royal orleans where there's a parking lot that's one place that a lot of people go the parking lot for the royal orleans is another option mm-hmm. up by the river Sure, sure. Up, There's uh, lots along the river, yeah. And Sunday for the block party, meters, you don't right. have to feed the meters. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so if you point. can find a spot <laughs> right, with a right. meter. That's the, what yeah. I do. I'm very patient. I look for turnover. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. You can also take one of the blue bikes and ride it on in if you want to. If the weather's nice, hopefully keep your fingers crossed. We'll have a gorgeous day. What happens after this? What com- what's next after this? Do you mind if I move Sure, the next exhibition after Art of the City. Uh, We... Our, there's a few exhibitions that we have in the lineup. Um, I don't know if we're quite ready to talk about them yet, but I will talk about also, along with Art of the City, we have the French Quarter History Galleries that are opening up. And that's in uh, the front part of our new expansion. And basically, those uh, that exhibition is a permanent exhibition that's going to be on display, and it's going to take you through the history of the French Quarter so that when people come to town or even locals and they want to know, why is the French Quarter here? What is the history? Who are the different people who have lived here? They can come to see this exhibition and it'll walk them through. We also have a family area that's new, and my favorite thing about it is there's lots of children kind of friendly activities, but they have these little smelling stations, so you can smell what the river smelled like, what a barnyard smelled like. I love it, because that's yes. one thing you can't usually do in a, in a, a museum of any kind is smell. Right. So right, right, let's right. make sure we get that smell in there. There's that's also right. a new cafe that is going to be there, yes, and, yes. as well as a new shop. Oh, yes. Our gift shop is moving across the street from our uh, old location. It's expanding. Yours is one of the best gift shops in the city. What a great, great place to buy birthday and holiday presents. It really is. It's always been great. So you're going to make it bigger. It's going to be even better. That's great. It's good. It's beautiful. It's bigger. It's better. Uh, We have a lot of product, a lot of product that comes from our own collections. We use a lot of our, the images that we have in our collections and our gift shop manager turns them into nightlife lights and lamps and blankets and shower curtains, all these amazing products that are one of a kind. And you're right. I do all my shopping there, too, for weddings and birthday gifts. It's and perfect. Yeah. And, of course, members get discounts. Oh, yes. And we also have a book group series that's going to be going. You want to tell them a little, Amanda? I, oh, absolutely. This is another program with Art of the City. We're going to be doing uh, four books, four book clubs. And uh, the host for these book clubs is Susan Larson, who is on WWNO with A Reading Life. Uh, they're going to be once a month from in May, June, July, and August. The first book that we're doing is We Cast a Shadow by Maurice Carlos Ruffin. And we're pairing each 
author with an artist featured in some way in the exhibition. So we're pairing him with Brandon B. Mike Odoms. Uh, in June, we're doing uh, the book The Futilitarians by Anne Gislason with, and we're pairing her with the artist Michael Dees. Uh, July is um, Unfathomable City with uh, Rebecca Snedeker, and we don't have her paired with an artist yet, but a lot of artists that are featured in the show are also featured in that book as well. That's when you should do Tannen because the two of them really um, ah. uh, relate to each other. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, we were involved when she was first doing that book. Y'all, we're just about out of time. Uh, let, let's go back and let's make sure that we've uh, we've punched our um, sure. our, our, our uh, high points here. So, first of all, the Art of the City post monitor post Katrina is going to open April sixth. It continues through October sixth. You have your block party. From 1 to 5 on Sunday, April 7th. Yes. And then you have um, the uh, – and and all of this is opening across the way from the old place at 520 Royal. Uh Uh-huh. And Tuesdays through Saturdays, 9.30 to 4.30, Sunday, 10.30 to 4.30. Free! It's free. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can go to our site at www.hnoc.org. Y'all, don't think when I the, don't let the word history put you off. This is a very, very entertaining, beautiful, fun place to learn more about the city that you love. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Jane. Thank you very much, and um, I'll see you there. Great. Okay, we're going to take just a quick, quick break, and then I have my next guest. So. A visitor to our city. Um, I'm not sure how much longer he's going to be a visitor because before too long, I, I can't imagine that he's not going to find some charming Creole cottage or a little shotgun or somebody's garage or just about anything he can uh, to, to, to spend even more time here because, my God, you just keep coming. This is um, Renaud Poche. Proche, yes. Proche. I always want to leave that R out. I don't know why. Um, oh, I know why, because the Poche is a big name in New Orleans, oh. and there's a lot of them. Um, who is the head of an organization that works with curators and helps them kind of develop their skills? And um, I, as a kind of amateur curator, I'm, I'm very uh, impressed with um, the, the whole process. It's a, it's a rich rewarding process because you get to showcase the work of artists and, and help bring them forward to um, their potential audience. So, Renard, tell me what you're doing here right now. Well, um, first of all, uh, so lovely to see you, Jane, and to see Absolutely. you again, uh, to be back in New Orleans. Um, We're here this week uh, with uh, Independent Curators International for a week-long workshop uh, called the Curatorial Intensive. And it's a professional development program for um, 13 emerging curators from really around the world, from New Orleans, but also from um, 
New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, the Dominican Republic, Argentina, um, and Colombia. And uh, we get together uh, to hear some of their um, some of their proposals, some of their uh, exhibition ideas, uh, some of the work that they are uh, currently developing, and helping them to find new ways of thinking about um, about what they do. Uh, so. Uh, we walk them through an itinerary of seminars and site visits, meetings with artists and curators. Uh, we have uh, the the, the uh, program is held at the Contemporary Art Center, um, uh, and uh, where we were basically based throughout the week. And uh, we partner with uh, the curator there, uh, Andrea Anderson, and. Uh, with uh, cura- with other curators in in, uh, in New Orleans, Gia Hamilton at the African American um, Museum, uh, and uh, Katie Fall at the New Orleans Museum of Art. So we're really drawing from from um, uh, people working here in the city. Um, uh, so was was interesting. Was curi- it was kind of I'm curious about what fascinates me is that you're dealing with people who have a certain level of skills and and knowledge already and experience. Um, but you are coaxing them forward in their work. Give me some, uh, I guess I want to say anecdotal um, concepts of how uh, you've seen a curator evolve from what they've been doing to what they begin to envision going forward. Hmm. Well, you know, what we're doing is really we're we're bringing generations together. So uh, we're not... uh, we're not teaching, so to speak, uh, what an exhibition uh, should be or uh, needs to be. We're, we're, uh, like you said, coaching and 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 um, asking questions and finding out, uh, empowering people to uh, to um, find their own answers, frankly. Um, and I think um, some of the participants in in this intensive have really um, rethought their um, initial ideas completely. Uh, others have just, uh, you know, kind of s- stayed with the, the the original ideas, but just kind of, m- you know, moved them forward. Um, I think asking questions around relevance of a project, why do we do what we do, um, looking at uh, at an exhibition from different angles and trying to refine uh, what it is. I think that some of the participants in in th- um, this past week have um, have really realized that an initial idea needed more work and that they thought that perhaps in just one week they would be able to uh, to develop an initial idea in, into an exhibition. But in the end, uh, what they devised is a plan uh, to research further the topics that they're, uh, that they're, they're interested in, to engage in deeper conversation with artists, to understand their material um, more, more deeply and, and precisely. Interesting. So you really sort of prod them to... Uh, again, um, uh, we were talking before about the historic North collection, and one of the things they specialize in is, specialize in is uh, deeper dives into our history and our experience of the city and the art of the city. And, and so you're fa- kind of doing that. Absolutely fascinating conversations. It's it's interesting to me that a lot of the um, you know a lot of the pro- of the exhibitions and projects and proposals being uh, discussed this week, um, and that the, the those 13 emerging curators brought to the table. Um, do connect with, uh, in, in some ways, with the history uh, that we find here, uh, and uh, so there's, so just having your workshop here in the city actually has an impact on them 
from this place? Well, I think it does, and I think you know, the uh, the uh, the great things about curators is is we're in the business of connecting the dots, right? So um, we bring artists together to make. Uh, larger meaning out of each work, for example, in an exhibition, and so I think that the the the, the themes, the topics uh, that each of these curators uh, brought with them to New Orleans, we we have been able to, and when I say we, my team and I, and, and Independent Curators International, have been able to connect those themes in some ways to um, to what to the the to to the city of New Orleans, to the history of the city of New Orleans. And so you have um, exhibition proposals that are being developed that deal with uh, the formation of identity, for example, uh, with um, the ghosts of history, with um, um, ways in which um, the concepts of home um, apply to a particular city and and, and to uh, communities. Uh, and, and it could be in different places around the world, but, but these themes connect to the city of New Orleans very directly, I think. Um, exhibitions are really changing a lot. Um, where at one time, it was, sometimes you see these images of some of the really early art shows uh, that were part of the the, the early um, contemporary work being shown in, in, in France. Um, uh, the early, early armory show, for mm-hmm. example, that, that sparked a whole revolution in work here in America. You see this just plethora of, of images and paintings all over the walls, very different from today. Not that you won't, can't see a show like that, because I remember... Oh my goodness! And who was it? It was a it was a show curated maybe by Jasper Johns at the Castelli Gallery. Mm. Am I thinking right? That had just this incredible you know range of work all over the walls. But um, it it isn't just about pictures or paintings, art drawings on the walls anymore. It's 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 installations. It's 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 um, uh, performance. It's work outside of the spaces of, of a given institution. So tell me about how this is changing and what are the trends? Where do you see this going? Well, the you know the the, the forms of art uh, has changed tremendously in the in, in the last century, obviously, and and um, um, in in the last forty years, even even more so. So painting, sculpture is no longer the uh, kind of dominant forms of art. Uh, the you know the emergence of um, of video art, of uh, performance art, uh, installation art has really changed the landscape of of how artists express themselves and what we see in exhibitions in museums, but not only in institutions, also uh, out on the streets and uh, and in places uh, that you know. 50 years ago or uh, or 100 years ago were not necessarily thought of as as places where art could um, uh, could take place and so artists have really taken um, you know taken this in their own hands to create spaces for their work to be seen and experienced and curators have followed and curators have um, have adapted the ways that uh, they present uh, contemporary art to audiences uh, in museums uh, in art centers and, and, and galleries, but also um, online and through publications and, of course, 
uh, in public spaces across uh, in, in the streets across the city. And I think this is another aspect of, of being here in New Orleans that uh, we find very inspiring is that the relationship to uh, to uh, public spaces uh, and art is is uh, is really. Uh, so so I was fascinated when uh, um, I came back to the city. Uh, we came back relatively early. Because, um, of course, th- it was very hard to come back. They tried to work very hard to keep us from coming back for various reasons. Um, but when I first came back, the f- one of the first uh, things that, that, that struck me, other than the handful of restaurants that were open that we remember to this day, Muriel's on the, on the uh, Jackson Square, where you could actually park in the middle of Jackson Square, which was something that was not at all common. But... Um, where were the public uh, was the artwork that that was just totally spontaneously planted on neutral grounds around the city and this is before the work that was done in a more institu- institutional context by Michael Manjaris who was working with Ogden and Hellas but they were just people from uh, who who just came out of nowhere to put art because they had to do something to to assure us that the spirit of New Orleans was still here. And then, of course, one of our art forms here are parades. And so the, the Halloween parade of 2005, literally right after the storm, was such an important reassurance to us that we could still laugh, that we could mm. see these blue tarp costumes and these refrigerators walking down the street. That was a symbol of how... You know, we all had to tie up our refrigerators and put them out on the street because they just were so clogged with rotten food. You just couldn't even deal with it. Um, but I, I think that um, that was a, 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 an important change point for our city and then followed by the more institutional work and then just this explosion of public art all over New Orleans. Well, it's very interesting because then, the you know, the, the role of the curator becomes very different. So... Um, in addition to curators working in museums who uh, are in charge of collections, are in charge of um, thinking through what our collective memory um, is, in a way, what we, um, you know, what the museum collection will say about us today to the generations that uh, will follow us. That's, of course, one aspect of, of what curators do. But there are uh, now curators who are working outside of the institutions, uh, outside of the museums, who whose concerns are uh, more social in a way. They are uh, providing through art a way for us to uh, make sense of, frankly, sometimes a crazy world in which we live, uh, make sense of um, an environment that uh, is is increasingly um, you know, hostile, uh, whether we're talking about ecology or, or uh, politics or social realities at times. So um, uh, there are two other questions I want to get in before I lose um, my time with you. But um, one it has to do with um, the, the amount of artwork that sits in storage in museums. This is becoming uh, an issue that is being talked about more. And I've heard of one initiative, and I don't want to be explicit about who's doing what, but I've heard about one initiative where somebody is trying to say, okay, museums, you've got all that work. Move it out. Send it out to other institutions. Get it out around the country so that more people get to see the work. And I, I think that sounds like a really interesting development. Is that something you're uh, been thinking about too? Um, it's it's it hasn't been 
uh, kind of front and center in our in 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 our program. But um, but we are very interested in how museums uh, across the country and around the world uh, can increase uh, collaborations and and work you know work with each other to present exhibitions, for example, uh, traveling exhibitions, and uh, and, and not you know share more rather than uh, always coming up with uh, uh, with new content that sometimes can be repeated. So how can we um, f- create situations where, where museums uh, share their resources and, and their knowledge and, and, you know, yes, their collections perhaps so that they can be seen more? I, I, I want to come to um, the opportunity that the public has to, to hear the discussions that your curators are um, thinking about in, in the presentations tomorrow. But just before I get to that, I want to ask one last question. So there still is such a terrible dilemma of the artists who don't get shown. There's still so many. And, and, and now it must be worse than ever because there are so many young artists coming out of uh, institutions making art. And um, if they don't get into that little gallery that can only show 12 artists a year um, or they don't get into the one museum in the city, um, it, it, it's still a challenge, even though you have these other public and other kinds of not so much institutional but uh, art sites where people can show work. Um, do, you, do you see any sign that there's a, a new way of dealing with that so that um, uh, an artist may not be somebody who's going to be on the walls of MoMA, in, you know, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, or, or, or NOMA here, the New Orleans Museum of Art? Um, any new strategies for making it easier for artists to show their work? Well, what we're seeing and, you know, what, what I, I see in the concerns of this new generation of curators that we're working with and, and, and those, you know, for example, those 13 uh, young curators or emerging curators who are here in New Orleans with us this week, what I see them thinking about um, in, in this regards is how local histories uh, can be told uh, through art and perhaps more regional histories rather than an overarching um, you know, history of modern art, uh, or history of of what follows modern art in a way, and so that the the Museum of Modern Art in New York no longer has uh, the definitive uh, you know last word on uh, on our history of art. So more artists, but also more curators to provide uh, a multiplicity of of entry points into our own histories, and to provide yes more spaces to see and experience arts, but also. Um, more narratives, more um, ways of thinking about who we are and and what we leave this world after we um, mm-hmm. after we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so finally, um, the your the people who have been part of your program the past few days are going to uh, present ideas that they're working on. Uh, give me the details. And, and is it open to the public? It's open to the public, and it's entirely free. Um, it is held at the uh, Contemporary Art Center, uh, 900 Camp Street, tomorrow from 10 a.m. to um, about 1.45 to mm-hmm. o'clock. So uh, all 13 participants will uh, present on their ideas and uh, and share with, with uh, an audience uh, what they've been thinking about. I think it's a great way to uh, get a sense of what the next generation is at and uh, and to get inspired. So it's 10 a.m. to 1.45 uh, tomorrow at uh, the Contemporary, Contemporary Arts Center. Center. I, I find it a fascinating opportunity to really um, hear how people put the shows that we get to see 
together and, 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 you know, how their thinking evolves. It's a behind the scene in a way. It's and, behind and, the scene. I right. should say this is the fifth year that we're, that we're holding this program uh, here in New Orleans. And I know you've been to, uh, to and, and you're hooked. before. Yes, I am. I'm, I am. And, and so are um, many of your curators, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, Renard, thank you so much for um, coming over to the studio and, and talking uh, to us about this. Such a Y'all, pleasure. I, I really want to urge you again. I, you know how passionate I am about the things that I bring on my show. I don't just do anybody. Um, this is a very interesting opportunity at the Contemporary Arts Center tomorrow from 10 to 1.45. If you've ever thought about um, how shows get put together or how you might like to do something, this is an important opportunity for you to hear uh, people talk about what they're thinking about. And, and you can come for half an hour, for an hour, or for the that's whole That's right. You can um, step in and out. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank we'll you, see you Jane. tomorrow. All right. Well, next up, um, we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk to a woman who I think is almost uh, a personification of um, New Orleans and and in, in, in all of its kind of the thin line between reality and unreality is is what um, uh, she means to me in so many ways. And um, Carol Pulitzer, who's just settling in right now, has written two books that she has um, just published. And uh, it's so it's so interesting. One is theoretically nonfiction, and the other is more fiction and fantasy. Um, but when you read these two books, the the fantasy uh, fiction one um, is uh, called Little Theater, a collection of very short illustrated fiction, and the publisher is you self published. Fantastic. That really takes a lot of guts and stick to it and Little theater make press. it happen. Um, and then the other book is called Most Likely to Succeed, a collection of very short illustrated nonfiction with recipes. <laughs> that is a well, – if you're going to put a lanyap in a book, <laughs> it, it's got to be recipes. We're, we're going to touch on a couple of these because um, – I have some other versions of, of some of them, and I'm, I'm fascinated about the pecan cookies. I really want to talk about those because okay. I want to make some of those. Um, so I, I don't know if you heard as you were walking into the studio me say that uh, for for me in, in many ways, you have always um, personified this, what I call this thin line in the city between uh, real and unreal. Well, I was gone 30 years, so maybe I forgot. (laughs) No, what I'm talking about is not so much New Orleans is real and unreal as um, you're uh, working with one foot in fantasy and one foot in reality. And, And as I was reading just little pieces of the two books, and I'm going back and forth between the two, I'm saying, I'm, I'm like really confused as to what's real and what isn't real. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure Carol has totally parsed out what's real and what's unreal. Well, so so talk to me about fantasy and reality and how you juggle the two in your life and well, in your writing. I think I say somewhere in the book that um, it's proof that, uh, you know, reality is, is stranger than fiction. And I've always said you could walk into any, like into a Starbucks and tap anybody on the shoulder and say, sit down, tell me, tell me your life story, and it would just be insane. Everybody's stories are insane. And um, 
you know, the fiction is kind of fun and uh, just whatever comes to mind. The nonfiction, I, I lived it. And, 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 you know, I think the one uh, I I dipped into a story where you were in Morocco. Now, that's fiction. (laughs) You are getting confused. Okay, you say that's exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) But a lot of it is real. But it seemed real. It seemed so real that I was saying, wait, uh, did Carol go to Morocco? She must have. (laughs) Jimmy did. My ex-husband uh, was spent a lot of time in Morocco, and I think I just through osmosis listening to his stories, I just fantasized what it must have been like. And then, and then, then you left in, in this in this uh, excerpt, this story in here. Oh my God, I didn't get to springtime in Slovakia, where <laughs> my family is from. Oh, really? Part of my family is from. Yeah. That's actually I met a woman in Durham, North Carolina, who sort of sat down with me one day and told me the story. And it's just such a fascinating story. I mean, it's real, but I imagined it. So. <laughs> Wait, it's real, but you imagined it. You see, well, that's what I'm talking about, folks. <laughs> this, this, this thin line. It is of a real thin and line. unreal. Um, how, how, let, let me ask you this. How did you arrive at this juggling of real and unreal? How did that emerge out of, Somehow your life experience? I started with the fiction, like, I don't know, 30, I was 30, so it was 42 years ago is when I wrote the first one. I was in New, I was living in New York. And it's just, you know, it was like tumbling out of bed. It just kind of came to me. And I was always more of a visual artist, a, a really, can I curse on the radio? A really crappy one. And, um, <laughs> But Crappy is about as far as you need to <laughs> okay. go. Yeah. <laughs> I meant to ask you. Um, but I was really not a great artist, but it was the most fun. Oh, but your, your art is, what do you mean you're not a great artist? Your art is fantastic. It's very, um, let's see, lyrical. It's very um, It's not David Hockney. Let's put it that way. Well, you see, now, David Hockney is one of those artists that I'm not really that wildly fond of because he just kind of got into a groove and, and, and it never changed. And see, I love to see art that has different qualities. I mean, I look at one illustration and it has a totally different sensibility from another that you do. And that's what I think is fascinating is to see an artist work in very different styles. Well, it's interesting you say that because it – up until about six months ago, these books were one book. And I sat, went to a writer's conference, and for 40 bucks you could sit down with a Random House editor. And I thought, all right, that's worth $40. And she looked at this one book, and she said, you can't, keep them, you can't put fiction and nonfiction in the same book. The bookstores won't know where to put it. And so that's why I split it up. But um, but they're really a companion to each other. They are. How how describe to me how you feel the two relate and and kind of interface. You well, know, most likely to succeed and little theater. Um, I would say the unifying feature is the stories are so short because I've always felt like you're asking a reader so much you're asking of their time which is what else is what could be more important than their time and so i was trying to like get through it fast plus i don't know how anybody writes a novel i mean writes writes in long form i don't know how they go from a to z but my stories go from a to z but sort of in a microsecond so um 
I guess it's more what happened than, you know, deep character development or anything. I think you get the feeling of who's in there, but um, I would say the unifying thing is very short, get to the point, have a lot happen. Um, They're almost like verbal photographs. That's a That's an interesting description. I I just thought of that just now as I was thinking about how, as I was reading some of them, you know, I get this quick take, this quick image of a moment in time that you're describing again, whether real or unreal. That's what they are. They really are. And a lot of them are based on, uh, I had a really good friend who lives in Sausalito, a fabulous photographer, Dennis Bayer, and he would just send me these he showed me his pictures, and I thought, God, that would make a beautiful illustration. So I sort of went from that, and then they would inspire a story. You know, like one was the rice paddies in Thailand, and so I would say, you know, what could, what could I, how could I relate to rice paddies in Thailand? Well, <laughs> <laughs> so I had to make something up. The, the other thing that struck me, uh, uh, you know, I picked up these books from your um, book signing on, on Sunday, and uh, the, the the moment in time that we're living in, mm-hmm. in the world and in our country, um, is this time when uh, the real and the unreal are, um, uh, again, both uh, interwoven uh, in, in a way that is really actually kind of scary. So the two things that happened in the past few days that, that really affected me uh, a, a lot, and, and I couldn't help but think of them as I read these uh, stories of yours, even though your stories are much more kind of, they're not lighthearted necessarily, but they are not as uh, ominous as some of the things that are happening. But, um, you know, he, here we have this two-year investigation of collusion on the part of the president, and, and this very serious guy that we've been told day after day after day and all yeah. those cable shows was so, you know, uh, upstanding and serious and he was going to get the job done. And then he does a report and says, well, um, I don't know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. And then and then in Chicago, this young man from the Empire show, um, uh, the judge comes to a conclusion uh, that he, he, he acquits him. But in the same breath, on the same day, he says, but I know he lied. So wait, how can he say he lied and acquit him? And then how can a guy like Mueller spend two years uh, and, and, and all these things that we, we, we all know as much as anybody. Everybody I mean, knows. We all know all the, all the moments that is like, how, how does the president sit on a plane and write a phony press release about a meeting and then somehow that meeting is not evidence of collusion? It's, it's crazy. So as you said, talk, tap anybody on the shoulder in Starbucks and ask them their life story and it's going to be crazy. Um, your your books are are, are are definitely a little crazy, <laughs> and I want you to tell me which one is that you think are the craziest. Uh, um, but then to oh, just God. deal with what we consider to be the real world politically right now is crazy. Well, I mean, I the the one thing I can uh, I cannot abide is a liar. So you can imagine how these last two years have been for me. Um, I would say the craziest story is when I said yes to my first husband who I hadn't seen in 40 years and said, sure, you can take me on the second honeymoon you couldn't afford back when we were 20. (laughs) 
Oh, just insane. Of all the insane things I did, that that one I should have said no to. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of how it turned out. Yeah. Uh um, the other thing, uh, Carol, that if you don't mind, I, I don't want to delve into this, but you, you've had some um, tragedies in your life. Uh, Haven't in, you? In terms of people around you. I, I think not as much. Um, I mean, my father died fairly young in my life, but I was 30. Mm-hmm. So that's not, you know, that's not childhood. Um, and, uh, um, you know, uh, I've had other people in my family that uh, ha- had issues that, I had to deal with the alcoholism of an aunt of mine who I loved dearly, but who, you know, couldn't keep away from the bottle and that kind of thing, and so on and so on. So, um, and and then just my own sort of vagabond uh, life of of coming from New York to New Orleans and the issues that that presents. As you know, I, I say I, I come from the tribe of Cardi B and Alexandria Ocasio um, Cortez. That's a fabulous tribe, and I love it, but it doesn't go over that well in a city that's used to dealing with iron butterflies, right? <laughs> so, I mean, but uh, anyway, I, I wonder to what extent the, 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 your life, that's why, I, that was my first question to you, to what extent were things that you had to deal with in your life and you had to figure out a way with dealing with them lead you into this path of, of, of 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 playing a chess game with reality and unreality. Well, I remember when my brother died, I was 13, and then my house was filled with friends of my parents. My sister was dis- mentally disabled, and I, the only time in my life I ever did this, and all these people are filled in the house, and on a table I had a jigsaw puzzle, and I spent all day for maybe two, three days was people were visiting. Working on that puzzle. Putting the puzzle together. And when I look back on it, I think, that's just, it's such a metaphor. Like, how could I have done something so, anyway. Are we done? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think that buzzing is probably my crazy husband who has called me during this show about six times, totally forgetting that I'm on the air. So, no, that's not. But we are just about done anyway. But um, I I really do. uh, Where are these books available? You can go to carolpulitzer.com. You can go to Octavia Books or Garden District Books or Amazon or your local library. Oh, they're all over the place. Great. Yeah, they're Mo- not in the library yet, but it'd be great if you would ask for them to carry it because I love libra- I love books. Do you? So you're a reader in addition to being a I writer just, and an illustrator. Well, I have a quote in the back of one book that says something like, uh, basically, books are better than everything else, right? Something like that. Most likely to succeed, a collection of very short illustrated nonfiction with recipes. We didn't get to the recipes, no. but there are some great recipes in the book of, back of that book. And then Little Theater, a collection of very short illustrated fiction by Carol Pulitzer, a woman who walks the line <laughs> between real and unreal. Um, definitely uh, chase down these books. Thank beautifully, you, beautifully done uh, and beautiful to look at as well. That's it, Gene Nathan, Crosstown Conversations on the station that is a great place to be, to visit with people, to communicate with the rest of the city. WBOK.